Hello, beauties. Welcome to Rebels on Purpose, a truth-telling podcast where we explore what it means to live boldly with purpose, on purpose. Through real conversations, we anchor radical curiosity, awareness, and love as fundamental tenets of our lives. We commit to relentlessly calling ourselves and one another up through presence, openness, and saying what needs to be said. This show is our way of calling a modern day circle where we focus on freedom, truth, joy, and the celebration of being fully alive. Please join me, Lindsay Nazan, and my bestie, Jamie Matiason, as we explore the fruits revealed to us through a devoted practice of soul inquiry as we journey towards our sacred responsibility. Everyone. Welcome back. Hello, James. Hey, Linz. Hey, Rebel Pack. Nice to be back. Yeah, so good to be back. We're very excited today. We have a very special interview with a dear, dear sister friend of both Jamie and myself, and just so looking forward to sharing her gifts with the world. So we thought we'd just give a formal introduction because this woman deserves a formal introduction. And so James is just going to share a little bit about who the amazing Yvonne Workman is, and then we will get right into the conversation. All right. So we're really excited for our interview today. We get to chat with our friend, colleague, and a self-proclaimed odd woman. So we know she's our kind of people. Yvonne Workman holds a master's degree in sociology. She's a certified yoga therapist and Vedic priest, and she's also an intentional creativity teacher and guild member. Through creating safe spaces for play, exploration, and self-discovery, Yvonne has a bounty of truly unique gifts to support people becoming more of themselves. This modern Renaissance woman is on a mission to spread joy and help others uncover their power by tapping into their own joy. We hope you enjoy this episode. So, friend, what have you been up to? <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's an epic story. I don't know. Ooh, what have I been up to? It? I like an epic story. Tell us all the details. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I feel like I feel like honestly, I went into burnout about five years ago, and I feel like I've spent the last uh, year starting to finally climb out of it. Mm. It's it's uh it's in it's interesting to that that I couldn't I couldn't see it at the time and nobody called me on it at the time so I think like I masked it really well and uh, just built and built and built and then um, I finally I finally I think got a grip on it over last year but most spectacularly last September I was going to take my RV and go out for a two week trip to BC and I had it all planned and ready to go. Go, and I woke up on the Tuesday morning I was supposed to get behind the wheel and I texted Brent and I said I'm not going and I literally just hung out at home and hid nobody knew I was here so nobody contacted me and I just hid at home sat in the backyard um, read books did nothing really did nothing for two weeks and um, at the, the end of that two weeks when I started to feel like color was coming back into the world I thought oh crap, I am burnt out. I <laughs> just burnt out. Yeah. And so that changed, that kind of changed my perspective on mm, life in general. <laughs> and, uh, and since then, I've really been honoring myself and um, all that goes with that. Yeah. So what, what does 
honoring look like? Because I think most people can really relate to burnout and then missing it, you know, like just carrying on and continuing on with the journey, getting it done, productivity, all the things, all the shoulds that we we feel like we should be doing this, that, and the other thing. And so I don't think it's uncommon for us to miss that, you know, that feeling of, oh shit. And you wake up and you're, you know, a former shell of yourself. And so what, what did you, like, what were the telltales that you kind of, that tuned you into saying like, I actually can't get behind this wheel right now. Um, I, I couldn't do anything I liked to do. I didn't, I didn't have the energy, you know, never mind getting through the work stuff, which, which of course you can do. You can always do the work stuff. It's the rest of the stuff that suffers. But I really, like I didn't, I had zero inspiration in terms of my artwork, my physical body. I, di- I didn't want to do anything. Mm. I, I didn't even want to walk, mm. um, you know, and usually I have quite a, quite a training schedule of, you know, decent training at least six days a week. And um, I didn't want to do anything. I I had zero interest in doing anything. Um, Nature is my, my home. I didn't want to get in the car to get there. Right. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't, uh, I couldn't drive anywhere for a hike or yeah, just, just zero interest in life. And was it a feeling of apathy or was it tiredness? Can you describe sort of like the nuance of that felt experience for people? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't apathy because of course the entire time I had this voice in the back of my head that was berating myself for not being able to do these things. Um, It was a, a lack of energy in all the ways. So physical energy, like if I, if I did drag myself out for a ride or a a run or something, I just, I would fatigue really fast Mm -hmm. and, you know, not be able to do it. The only riding I, I did was, um, I bought a gravel bike and I would ride it like I was a kid. Like I would just ride it to the hilltop and look at the town and then ride home. Right. Ride to the store and get a Slurpee. (laughs) Like that that, like no training mode. Right. Yeah. And slow motion. Um, so physically, I just didn't have any energy. But mentally, you know, I was exhausted. I would wake up in the morning and sleep well, like sleep a 10-hour night, wake up in the morning and um, have to have a nap mm-hmm. that day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So after the two week hiatus or the hiding or whatever you want to call it, the cocooning in and, and just letting yourself be, what started to happen? What was the transformation that occurred? That was the biggest transformation was just letting myself be, was to just like when I woke up in the morning, face the day and go, okay, so what, what do I feel like now? and take and do that thing and if that what do I feel like now was to lay on the couch and read a book like I literally would be on the couch at 8 30 reading a book Mm. it's fine and I just let myself be okay like that was the I think the biggest thing was to just allow myself to be what I was being and stop fighting it so I did I did make some decisions I um I usually start teaching classes in September and I put those off until I felt the call to teach the classes. And that ended up being the end of October. Okay. Um, I cut down my private, my private clients to two, two a day on Mondays and Tuesdays. So four in a week total. Yeah. 
I gave myself Fridays as my art day, but no, but zero expectation of producing anything. So I, I learned to do a lot of really silly uh, watercolor art. <laughs> it was just, just playful, silly, nothing stuff. And if I didn't feel like it, that was okay. I didn't have to, didn't mm -hmm. have to do anything. It was a lot of that. Mm -hmm. That's like a privilege, hey, like to be able to just give yourself that space to feel into your day. Like imagine if the world lived like that, how it just yeah. how balanced we would be. Yeah. I did some of that during COVID. Lindsay and I talked a bit about that during COVID of, of using that opportunity for all this space to not have to be anywhere, to not have to produce anything, to not have to work, to just lean into what do I want to do next? And I literally did that for most of the, the lockdown and it really, it changed a lot for me. So yeah, I, I think, and same with Lynn's too, right? Like you had some of those experiences too, of just leaning into flow state or exploring flow state. Yeah. It's really interesting that all three of us have sort of walked this path of, uh, I don't know, a, a forced sabbatical of sorts, you know, where we've come to a place where there's a burnout happening or an opportunity for space that becomes available. I mean, a little bit of both maybe for each of us in a different way. But for me, when I went on sabbatical, it was a choice and a privilege. Like you said, Jamie, it was also not a choice. It was like where you were at Yvonne of there was just nothing left. Like I had nothing to give. And I, that had been the case for quite some time. And I was just finding fumes in my being to burn something else up and do something else over here. But it was, there was no real vitality inside of anything that I was doing. And so there was absolutely no joy. The joy was just like gone to the point where I remember saying, like, I don't know what joy is. I don't fucking have it. I don't know what it, I just, it's just not part of my experience. And it was, I was kind of pissy pants about it, you know? And then for the first few months of that sabbatical, I remember talking to Jamie every day and I would just, I'd be agitated. I was so agitated. Oh, I even talked to you about it. I think a few times Yvonne, where I was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to be doing. I, I need to be doing something. And then, you know, you guys would just sort of say like, well, maybe not, maybe you just feel into what the next thing is for today. And then I would just sort of huff and puff about it and then try to go do that. And what I realized is I really needed that two week period that you had of there's just nothing to do. And you get to just feel into well, what would you do if you had nothing to do? And I had to move through a lot of discomfort to find that starting point because having nothing to do is terrifying for me. Um, I realized that's it's part of my workaholism. It's part of how I stay safe in the world is this control of doing the things and having things to do. And so, you know, we just did a podcast on scarcity and I, I articulated that for the first time, I think that ever with words, putting words to it, it was like, oh, the to-do lists are actually about control because that control gives me this feeling of safety, which somehow is serving this enoughness inside. It's like this vicious cycle. So yeah, that time, that sabbatical time really helped me unpack some of it. And quite frankly, I'm kind of back there again. I'm kind of back there for a 2.0 version of this. Um, it sucks. It's hard. It's really hard, but um, I'm trying to show up for it as best I can. But yeah, it's fascinating though. I think too, as people who are givers as part of our identity and part of our soul, that we we really are invested in the healing that others are doing 
we're really invested in supporting others that when when you're not doing that it also feels very selfish yes. and it feels very disconnecting or alienating mm -hmm. um, because if I'm not if I'm not doing this what is my value in the world you know I'm not a carpenter I'm not an electrician yeah I'm not a school teacher or nurse so what is my value in the world if I'm not even teaching an art class or a movement class <laughs> yeah that I I think that is that is part of the plague of being human right now is we have so much so much of our value is equated to our ability to either support people or produce something and in that space the the creativity and the soul spark or what, however you want to articulate that the thing that we're actually here to do is always taking a back seat. And that to me, that piece of us is unchanging. That is always there. We always have access to it, but it's so buried under all of the narratives and all the expectations um, of, you know, being a woman in the world of being a mother of a caretaker, like you said, and I think the only way we get to actually access that is when we take these breaks, you know? So I always look at these breaks as these amazing opportunities to tap into that. Like, what am I really here to do? It's not like you need to go excavate it. By creating space, it will start to bubble up. It will start to rise up. It'll start to show itself. And I, I recognize the privilege in that. But I also think, you know, when COVID happened in those lockdowns, we all had access to that privilege. We were all asked to stay home and get paid. And what did you do with that opportunity? Because to me, that was an opportunity. And after, you know, being a mom, single mom for 15 years or however long it had been at that point, I was like, hell yes, I will sign up for this. I had no problem sinking into that space of not having to do anything to make money, to try to figure it all out day by day, week by week. And, and things started to shift and change in me. And that, I, I, that thread and that light, when that starts to dim, I know it's time. It's time to take a break. So going to Sweden and sitting in the woods, you know, when I feel that now I have access to that, but I think so many people just don't have access to it because they've never even looked or they've never had the space uh, or, you know, the skills to inquire about these things inside of us. So I guess my question is when, when you thought out around this and you took that break, what, what emerged, what started to show up for you? So I figured, I figured over that five years and during that COVID break that it would just show up. If I just wait, it'll show up, it'll show up, it'll show up. And uh, I was starting to get frustrated that nothing was showing up. And in retrospect, because I wasn't actually taking a break, like COVID was no break for me. Um, I ended up going into compulsive spiraling so high that alone in my house, I was burning myself out, right? Mm -hmm. it, was, it was not available to me to rest in that period of time. I just, I just went compulsive. Um, man, I argued with everybody in the world. <laughs> if they had only heard me, it would have, we would have been fine. <laughs> but, but then, okay. So when I started to become aware, okay, actually girl, you're burnt out. Now you really have to step back. And then I, and then I thought, okay, so now it will emerge. <laughs> you know what? Nothing's emerging. In that way, in that way of doing, nothing is emerging. 
but I can feel me as a being emerging. And I don't even know, like to find the words to explain what's happening. I um I started on an art journey with a with a wonderful woman from Halifax. And um the the uh intention that I set for the program was I am joyfully inspired as I move into new realms. Because I really didn't know what I don't know what I want to do when I grow up, right? I don't want to know what I want to do in the next phase of my life. But as each piece kind of unravels, I'm getting a message about being, not doing. The next, the next thing I think is is nothing. <laughs> there is no thing. Yeah, I relate and, to that. Yeah, and and you know what the um the sun shines brighter and the sky is bluer and um I'm finding joy in small things again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think that is accessible to everyone? Do you think that there is a way in the climate and the current culture that we live in that, you know, there's there's small steps to get to that place? A friend of mine gave me the best, the best advice. I said to her one day, I was complaining because all I wanted to do was sit around. And I said, you know, all I want to do is sit and read. And she goes, isn't that a valid choice? Isn't it a valid choice to just sit and read? Mm. Um, we are such a doing culture. We are such a productivity focused culture. I, you know, our grandparents didn't, didn't do stuff all the time. They, they, they worked hard physically in ways that we don't, but they also sat on the porch. Wow. Um, I don't know how can we as a culture get, can we find the porch? Mm. <laughs> love that mm -hmm. yeah you know it's funny you're right the the physical laboring of our ancestors is a piece of it because they did work hard like you said there's there's like a an output physically with the body and then there's this resting with the body and the mind in the sitting on the porch and We've flipped it in our culture where the physical, we sit at a damn desk or we drive a car or we look at our bloody monitor phone all day long and we're kind of sedentary in that way physically. And then mentally we're like, like constant movement, right? This instant gratification, ADD that has been created through the cell phone, even just that kind of way of being in our minds. And it feels almost opposite to the way that our ancestors lived. So I love this analogy of going back to the porch. Yeah. I mean, and then we, and then we, um, we, we make, so then we feel guilty that we haven't moved all day. And then we make movement a to do thing yeah. um, that we force ourselves to do. <laughs> and it's not fun and it's not interesting and it doesn't actually give us physical joy either. Mm -hmm. Right. So we go to the gym and beat ourselves up. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's one of the, I think one of the greatest messages that you've continually helped with me because I've always used structured exercise is so intertwined with diet culture for me in, in a really toxic way, even at a subconscious level for me. So 
you know, it's, it's not, I'm, I'm not to the place where I'm like, oh, well, if you can eat as much as you want, if you run 5k a day, it's not that extreme. It's, it's way more insidious. It's really, really sneaky for me. And, you know, the, the, um, advice you gave me the other day, if you're not having fun doing it, why bother? And that's literally on my poster board in front of my bicycle now, because I need to be reminded that the movement that I do is a privilege and I do it because I love it. I love to ride a bike. So Yes, there is some benefits to me to have structure because I'm also one of those people who is, I'm, <laughs> I betray myself a lot in that and I'll kind of abandon myself. So there's, it's, it's complex, but to find the joy in the movement again, and to remind yourself that it is a privilege to have an able body that moves and gets to experience life from different vantage points, which what is one of the things I love about a bicycle is you get to go to places that you wouldn't normally go if you were on foot, you know, I mean, you can, but it's different. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I hear all of these things that we're, we're bringing forward, I keep thinking, you know, this is the toxicity of the patriarchy and how it's ingrained into every single thing we do with productivity, with how we see ourselves in the world and the laziness and diet culture, all of these things that have woven into all these pieces of how we live our lives. It is a courageous act to move your body for the joy of it. In, in the culture that we live in. And I think that's a really, really good point. And when I think about my grandparents, when you think about that, the porch analogy, which I love, by the way, there was something about the way they moved through the world that felt like it was to take care of themselves. You know, there was my grandfather's huge garden. It was, that was his work and he worked his ass off, but it was, you know, to provide for the family. It was not about being productive or selling, you know, and he had a hard, hard work ethic too and but we don't have that anymore or I feel really I feel really far away from that it feels like everything is about making money and being of service to the world and that's a really hard place to operate from and of course burnout is going to happen of course that everything we do has to be validated outside of ourselves yes (laughs) yes and my grandfather grew food because that was his, like, I think about that when I bought a bag of potatoes for $10 the other day, I'm like, oh my God, my grandfather is rolling in his grave yeah. right now because yeah. he would send me down into that scary root cellar at the back of the property, the dangling light going down the stairs to go get a bag of spuds. And I was just like, oh God. But that was how they, they lived. They lived off of their land and they took care of their family. That was, that was what they did. And I just feel so far away from that. Everything we do is we got to go to the grocery store and buy everything. And like, well, I want to grow a garden. And then it's, oh, well, there's, you know, there's no value in that. It's going to cost you $5 for your tomato. It's, we always bring it back to this thing about, you know, economics. Yeah. it's There's still a value being put on it that's outside of us, even in that Mm -hmm. context. So I have a question because you both have kids and, I do not. And there's lots of people listening to this that have kids and are in the thick of it, but they are also burnt out. So is there a possibility to do this type of work, take this, find this sort of pockets or space or, you know, what we're discussing for those women in that stage of of their life, or do they have to wait until their kids grow up? I'm just curious what your take is on that. Wouldn't it be the, wouldn't it be the most beautiful lesson for your kids? (laughs) to see you taking space. I, I um, yeah, I, I so get it. I so get the dilemma because the demands on children in our culture are so high. It's, you gotta make an active choice at some point to say no. 
I, there's a there's a woman I know who is uh, just a brave brave soul, and she actually um, she actually canceled her kids' activities, and she said, you know, instead we're gonna on the weekends we're gonna go out and make a bonfire, we're gonna make snowmen, we're gonna and, and yeah, I, I don't know, like that's it's easy to say, okay, she's done it, you could do that, right? The kids are under pressure too. Man, it's a big act of rebellion to to find your own peace. That's for sure. Find peace for the kids. Because again, in this culture of social media, you know, if you didn't post your garden pics, are you really gardening? If you didn't, <laughs> do you know what I mean, like, if you. Uh, if you, you know, feed your kids chicken nuggets, you're going to get the social judgment coming down hard from all corners of the globe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, are you, are you going to face, face the uh, judgment that you're depriving your family if you're taking space? Yeah, yeah, it is. I think it is a really difficult line to navigate, um, parenting children right now. And I mean, parenting has always been hard, right? We just, it's just different hard now. We have different things that we're, we're having to navigate, but I've, I've learned, I think I lived in both extremes. I lived as the martyr when my husband left that my kids were like two and three or two and four or something. So very young. And I went into full martyr mode of scarcity of trying to hold everything together and so there wasn't a lot of space for me to even, well, there was, I chose, <laughs> I chose the path of putting my kids first for everything. You know, I really, I just gave them everything I had and I didn't deal with my grief. I didn't deal with my creative spark. I didn't have any drive outside of yoga. I guess yoga kind of helped was my like walking partner through that time, but it wasn't until I got really sick and I had to start looking at how I was doing things because it wasn't really working. And your kids are not listening to you. They're watching you. They're watching every single thing you do. And I want my kids, I've always said, you know, if my kids can leave the house and have the courage to live the life that they really dream of, then I feel like I've done my job. Everything else is, you know, it's for the therapist or <laughs> for conversations when they get older because you can't do everything. But what I really wanted was for them to have the autonomy to choose what brought them to life. And I had to learn that with them. So as I was parenting them, I was also growing into that. And I do feel like when I watch them do things in the world, I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's it. That's, they were watching, they, they picked up on some of this stuff. And I think that for me is the best thing we can do. And, you know, share the lessons along the way that they're willing to listen to. <laughs> and just hold space for them to make mistakes and ask questions and really encourage them to show up to whatever it is. You know, I have a kid in a metal band right now and he is alive when he's on the stage. He's just, he's a born performer. And then I have my daughter who is fully, she calls herself an academic weapon. So <laughs> she just is fully engaged in academics, but that's what is bringing them both to life right now. So I feel like that to me is a win in the parenting world because it's there's so much noise right there's so much noise for them yeah I don't know if that answers your question but no it's beautiful I'm curious if you could both of you go back to the time when your kids were younger and you were in the thick of the doing what would you say to that per that mom now on this side of the fence 
<laughs> sit on the porch, man. <laughs> sit on the porch. <laughs> there you go. Like, <laughs> you know, when my kids were really small, I had been in academics and there was just something I knew at the time. I knew that when we moved to Alberta, there was no way I wanted to commute two hours a day and leave my kids in the care of somebody else. So we took a huge financial hit as I quit that job and stayed home with my kids. And that was one of the biggest gifts of my life was that we were in a place where we could do that not financially comfortably it was very it was very challenging but that we could financially do it at all right it was such a huge gift and I remember because I was into feminist philosophy and uh, uh, sociological assessment of women in society and all that and and here I chose to stay home with my kids so personally, I had quite, quite a hard time reconciling that mm. and eventually ended up building my own business because I couldn't reconcile it. I had to be doing something else. I would go back and tell that woman to wait until my kids graduated high school. Uh. <laughs> like, I would tell that woman to, to just, nah, you don't have to play this game. If there's stuff you want to do, do it. But, but if you feel like you're not valid as a woman in this society unless you're earning an income in that way. Fuck off. Sound <laughs> yeah. <Down> advice. <laughs> yeah, I, I I feel very similar to you. You know, I, I opened a daycare because for the same reason, I just, I didn't want my kids to go to, to a day home. I wanted, I wanted to be a part of that. And as hard as that job was, I I loved it. It gave me so much I got to be with kids outside like I I lived in northern BC at the time or central BC and so we were surrounded by forests so we played outside a lot and yeah I I loved that time but again there was that edge of you know it's not enough to just raise your children you need to be making some money you need to be and I was making good money having a day home it's quite a lucrative business but there was something else that was nagging about it it's like well, what are you going to do when they go to school you know, you always had to be thinking of the next thing. And I think that was where the entrepreneur was born. It's like, well, how can I, how can I have all of this? How can I do all of this, <laughs> take care of my babies and also be a woman who has her own voice and has her own journey and her own path to walk because being a mom isn't enough for me, for, for me personally, yeah. you know, it's a huge part of my life, but there's also a woman who has something to do in this world that's outside of being a mom. So I think if I, I went back, I, it's very similar to you, Yvonne. I think I would just give myself a little bit more space and kind of ease the pressure of trying to figure out what's next, you know, jumping ahead yeah. and living in that anxious state of trying to figure it all out at once. Yeah, I would sit on the porch, Mark. <laughs> yeah, and the doing of the doing, again, like I made the choice to do something that was validated by our culture. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I wonder what would have been available if I, if I didn't let that pressure me, I wonder what I would have done. I yeah. suspect I would have been doing art earlier. Yeah. I would have returned yeah. to art earlier. And I, I, you know, the decision I made, what worked for me is not the decision for every woman, but I think the, I think the piece is taking the time to really listen for what you want 
rather than thinking of what you should do. Because, you know, there will be women out there who have their babies and what they want is to actually go back to work. Yeah. And and that's, but, but maybe they stay home because they feel the pressure they should stay home, right? So I think the key piece is really having space to listen, taking space. You have to take it, yeah. right? Nobody's going to give it to you. <laughs> taking the space to listen. Right. Yeah. I, I just think that, you know, that if the community of, of women that have, I have cultivated in my life now, if I had had that when I had babies, I think of how different it all would have been because I tried to do it all, right? I tried to just have my shit together and make it look like I had my shit together, even though I was completely locked down. If I would have been able to say like, hey, Linz, I am in the shit and I need a break. I would do that now. And I have passed off stuff from my kids to her to to take the reins and, and see them from a different perspective. But I didn't allow that space and that community. And I think that is one of the biggest issues we have now is that children and families are raised in such an isolated way. We don't have these communities. It is not a one-man job. It's not a two-man job. <laughs> it The saying of it takes a village is there's, there's truth, a massive truth to that for me. And I've had to learn that as I go. I think if I had had the, had the capacity to thaw a little bit more when I was a young mom, that things would have been a lot different for me, you know, and my children as a result, because I would have been taking better care of myself, right? I would have been looking after my own needs and processing my own trauma around my divorce, like all of the things that I didn't do until a decade later when I thought, okay, now I can take a breath, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think the porch is the, such a beautiful metaphor for that space. It, that is the taking of that space. And then what fills that space is none of our business. It just comes, you know, I think that's another piece of it for me. That's what I'm taking away from what you guys are saying is this recognition of the seeking to know the answer to what is supposed to fill that space. What, what is supposed to be the joyful thing? What is the creative endeavor that's waiting on the other side for me? It's like, you don't get to chase that that that's not how this works. And the more I've chased it in my life, the more elusive it has become. And the more I feel far away from joy as a way of being in the world. So it's not until I actually let go of needing it at all and really embrace the no thingness of doing nothing that it starts to just sparkle its way in again. And I, I don't know any other way to have learned that except to have done it, like sit on the goddamn porch and be bored for a minute. Yes. Because for my whole life, I, people would talk about boredom and I'm like, I don't understand you. I don't, I don't, boredom is not a word that makes any sense in this person here. I don't get it. And in the last few years, I'm like, oh, boredom is a thing. It's a tool. It's like a really helpful place to be because it opens up a portal to something that I don't even know about. Yes. Um, but I always, it was always a negative for me. Boredom is wrong. Boredom means you're a lazy piece of shit. Don't go there. Mm. Well, as, as all Gen Xers, we grew up in a time that if you were bored, you were given a job. Right. <laughs> Let's fill it, fill that space something. And I think, <laughs> I think, um, part of what we're describing is the difference between that patriarchal way of being in the world and the more, um feminine way of going with the flows you know we i want to plan i want to plan i want somebody to show me the the next step 
I want to chart it. Oh, I love charting. I love spreadsheets that lay out the steps, right? I love all that. I feel it. I think like Lindsay, you talked about control. I think it gives me this external sense of control. It's not real. In the end, I hate the spreadsheet and I kick it out. Right? But, <laughs> yeah. but really it's that that's the model that our world has, you know, well, what's your plan? Mm -hmm. What's your plan? What's your goal? What's your, um, what's your purpose, right? Like we have all these, like you're supposed to name everything. What if you didn't name it? What if you just did what came to you? What if you didn't plan it? What if you just moved how you were inspired to? Yeah. I think, I think we're missing in our world some really great things because we're too busy worrying about a plan that we should have. Yeah, absolutely. We're all, we're so busy living in the future that the creative life that's unfolding in front of us, being a mother is a creative endeavor. Being a dog trainer and a dog walker is a creative endeavor. But in order for that to unfold in front of you, you actually have to be there. You have to be there to receive the gifts of that. And we're so busy, like you said, living in the spreadsheet and making the plan for the coming year, whatever it is, that we miss the unfolding of everything that is right in front of us. That is the access to joy for me is when I can land in that space. And every time I've had those connections with feeling truly divine and feeling the, the divinity of my life and the connection to everything was a lot of them happened through being a mom and being completely present and feeling that overwhelming. I mean, joy doesn't even feel like a big enough word for it, honestly. Yeah. yeah. It's just this plugged in connected feeling where nothing else actually matters. The, the spreadsheet is exploding behind you. Yeah. You don't care. It does, it's irrelevant. And it's truly irrelevant, not by forcing it out of your periphery, but to actually just land right here in what is happening in front of you. And if you follow the thread of that without grabby hands and without the expectations, what unfolds in front of you is pure magic. That has been my experience, yeah. but holy shit, if that isn't the hardest damn thing to do in the world we live in, right? It is a rebellious act, like you said, to live courageously in the moment and follow what brings you alive. Yeah. And the, the most magical experience I just had was through the month of January, I made a deal with myself that on Fridays on my art day, I would go outside and I would make art. That was it. That was the level of commitment necessary. And um, of course it was a crazy weather month. It's an, ins it was insane. The weather here, but the first, the first week I went out, it was probably about 10 degrees. And I, I just, in my gut, I wanted to make a nest. And uh, so I made this huge nest and I was chopping things out of my garden and somebody had bought apples that were going bad in the fridge. So I chopped up the apples and I put bird seed on it. It was just crazy. It was just a crazy mess. And it was so muddy where I was making it that I was up to my ankles in mud in my boots. And I was, I was laughing and I kept looking out the window after to see when the birds were coming to eat out of it. And it was ugly and beautiful the next week it was minus 37 and the deal was go out and make art so, yeah. <laughs> there was a, a ton of snow down by then so i put on all my gear and i walked spirals around my yard and um, it was so cold that my glasses fogged up instantly and i was walking blind <laughs> and then i had to i had to stop right it was done like i i think i had about three minutes out there 
but I watched those spirals out the window for the next two weeks. Mm -hmm. Then I made, um, I made, uh, another set of spirals just with rocks and rosemary and the wind was blowing so hard. The rosemary wouldn't stay put. It just like this, this process of everything I tried to do. Oh, guess what? It's undone by nature. So the nest, the apples are all gone. Um, the snow kind of squashed it. The spirals are all gone. The rosemary is all gone. And then last Friday, I've had a health scare recently. So I went out and I made a uterus out of snow. And uh, what a loving act, I have to say, to handle your uterus mm -hmm. in the snow and, and have conversation with it. But it melted in hours. And uh, the freedom of, I, I had no plan of what I was going to do. I was just going to play with whatever came to me. The freedom of, I don't actually care what this looks like. The freedom of, this is going to be gone shortly anyway, um, really brought back that, that concept of just being out in that space, just being with myself and following whatever inspiration of the moment was coming and having zero attachment to that outcome. To me, that's stepping back into that more feminine style of living. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And what an amazing thing for yeah, aspiring artists, which I think we all are <laughs> to some degree, we have we have that inside of us, but it's, you know, it's often underneath all of that. I'm not good at this. And you have to be born with the talent to be an artist. And, but I love the idea of the impermanence of your art installations, that they actually are a way of processing to some degree of what was happening in that moment. So there was no, nowhere it had to go. You just had, to, you used it as a way to process what you were living in that moment. And I think that is such a good thing for people to hear who who gets stuck who gets stuck behind the not good enoughness of creating something i love that i think that's a really potent drop of wisdom that people can actually use when they hear that it's like can you just go out and create something in nature and let it be exactly what it what it shows you to be and then walk away and leave it yeah, yeah. and and i'm facing um i'm face i'm right in the heat of this at this moment about the painting that I do in the house or in the sculptures that I do in the house. I've hit a point where with what I've produced, it now feels like a burden in the space. It feels like accumulation. It feels like stuff. And so I've been, I'm contemplating, no, I know I'm going to do it. I'm just not there yet to actually just paint over to just paint over. So rather than buy a new canvas, I'm just going to paint over a beloved painting and paint something new. Cause it's not about the product. It's not about the stuff. I, you know, I would love my art to sell. I'm not interested in selling my art. Those are mm -hmm. two different things. And my art is a process and um, you have to just paint over and start, start again, start with the next, next thing like do we have to do we have to create something for other people to see and validate and purchase and validate or can we just make stuff because we want to make stuff mm -hmm. yeah I love that and I mean I think this is a great segue for you to talk a little bit more about intentional creativity because I've had the pleasure of 
doing, I don't know what it was, maybe a five or six session uh, journey with you through intentional creativity. And I had my own experience around it, which maybe I'll share after you talk a little bit about what that is and what it means to you and however you can articulate it. I know it is one of those things. It's, and even for myself going through the experience, it is a hard thing to articulate to people. I just say, you just got to go and hang out in her basement with her and do it <laughs> or hang out on the lawn with her and do it because it, it's, it's such a deeply personal uh, process. Even though I was being led by you, I felt very much in my own um, on my own path with it. And it really was transformative. So can you share a little bit about what, what that process is and how, how you would approach painting? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, for starters, it's never about the product. It's never about the product. It's always, it's always processing. And um, I think that like I'm using, I'm using painting to gain insight into where I actually am in my head. Um, and then I'm using painting to move myself forward. And so the intentional aspect of it is that, that you're not coming to make a pretty picture. You actually have an intent to make change in your life. So it's, it's partially a process of getting really clear um, and then a process of shifting that, transitioning that so that you're moving towards uh, that shift that you want, the change that you want. Yeah, I think that is a perfect summary of what my experience was because I am one of those people and I am trying to shoot this, but I'm not a painter by nature. It doesn't, it's not an easy flowing experience for me. It's quite agonizing and there's a ton of comparison, but I trust you so deeply. So I was like, you know what, you're paying for this and you are here so you're just going to do as you are told <laughs> and stay in your own damn lane which is really hard when you're painting beside what like your your paintings are absolutely amazing and moving and but you're right it's just not about that and as I did the processing you know you took me through this beautiful journey and we did meditations and journaling and setting these intentions and then writing the words on the canvas and covering them up what happened came so spontaneous. It was like a big bang for me. I had no idea that that was going to happen. I just kept doing what I was instructed to do and, and leaning in as much as I could and putting my shit aside. And, you know, I banged up against my narrative a thousand times, especially when we got to the place where we were painting, you know, really bringing the image of the woman forward in the painting. I was, I had to work really hard to not criticize myself. And at first that was really hard, but then what, what started to transpire inside of me, I was like, oh, that, that meant more to me than what was emerging on the canvas. And, you know, I actually, when I moved, I took her to the dump. <laughs> I was done. It was the process of the painting. And she gave me all the gifts I needed. And a narrative that was deeply wound into my life was poof, gone, literally gone. And I remember sitting there thinking, how the hell did that happen? I didn't see it coming. The result happened by going through the process. And it was one of the most potent experiences I've had in a, in a relatively quick transformation of something that I've been carrying with me my entire life for as far as long as I can remember a narrative, a, you know, an obstacle, a shadow. I think we did shadow. I think that was kind of the intention that I had come to you with was, is like dissolving the shadow inside of me or integrating the shadow, I guess, not dissolving it, but integrating it. And it was really, it was a miraculous experience. I, I don't, and I, I, I don't know how to articulate it outside of that, but I was kind of blown away. <laughs> 
there's um there's such there's something that happens so when we when we move our body to create the paint stroke or the sculpting or the dance or whatever when we move our body while holding the intention that we're holding we actually make the intention manifest like we have actually by putting a stroke on a canvas you have made manifest that thought that concept and that's all happening i think in the deeper brain right it's not happening in your conscious brain at all but literally when i when i start a painting there's always a moment where i just grab paint whatever color i don't care and I put it on the canvas and that's my, I am here. I am present. I am now, I am one with this canvas now somehow. And so then when you are putting the strokes on, when you're doing, doing the things that I'm guiding you to do or that I'm guiding myself to do, you are actually doing it. You're not just thinking, oh, I'm changing this narrative. You are actually changing the narrative. You know, when you're painting a stroke for your grief, you're not just you're not just making a line and saying that's my grief. You're actually manifesting that grief onto the canvas for you to then work with however you want. When you paint a stroke of joy, you are actually creating the joy in your life. Mm. And it's such a cool process. I don't know that I fully understand it, but it happens every time I do something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that's a really beautiful way of, of feeling into it, and yeah, it, yeah, I don't know, I, I there's nothing else to say about it. You just have to go and do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's incredible to hear this this way of describing it. I mean, I've had a taste of the intentional creativity work with you, Yvonne, when James, you and I did that day mm -hmm. session with Yvonne years mm -hmm. ago. I still have that picture process in my studio because when I look at it, it reminds me of who I am. It literally reflects back at me, the life of myself, the, the path I have taken, because it's, it's this layer upon layer that we did, you know, it's the scars are under there and they're all stitched together underneath all this color and swirl and spiral and circles and chaos that is who I am in, in a picture that is pleasing to the eye, but fucked up. It's, <laughs> both, you know, and I really, really, it, it gives something to me when I look at it. So I still have it because I'm not done with it yet. I know I'm not done with it yet. And when you said paint over, I just had this like full rush of like, oh shit. Okay. That's like, woo, you know, maybe there's more to be done with that particular piece. And so, you know, I'll get there when I get there. But what I was really noticing when I was listening to you is I sing, I do this type of singing that people ask me about. And I'm like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what to call it. I, it's just, it's, I, so I say it's devotional singing. <laughs> it's an offering because I don't really know how to describe it. And what it is, is what you're saying. It's intentional processing through my voice. Mm. It isn't singing. It's actually not singing, but it is art. There is, there is an artistic expression that comes through me as a being. And I come into the session with an intention. You know, usually it's spontaneous. Sometimes it's planned, it depends. 
And then I offer that into the space, the circle, the community with my voice. Sometimes I actually say it like I'm, I'm praying for this, or I'm here for this today, or sometimes it's just quiet inside, or I don't even know what it is. But then the voice comes out and I remember I did an intensive and it was totally like what you were talking about, Jamie, this, I didn't really know as it was going, what was happening to me, but I just kept showing up because I was well, I'm just going to do what I'm told. I'm paid for this. And I, something told me to sign up. So I'll just keep going. And I was terrified for much of the time that I was there. And like, it was a lot, but something was processing, you know, and at one point we got in this huge circle and it was very tribal and we all went in the center and we had to essentially wail. It was as close to wailing as I've ever done in my life in the company of other humans. And I screamed like primal kind of screaming and the release that came through wasn't something I could manufacture in any way in my life. I want, I've wanted to, I can feel the feeling of like, I want to get this out, you know, but I could never, I could never conjure that in any other space. And like you said, like it manifested in its own time and I had no control over that. It just, it was what it was. And then I left a different person. And I mean, this podcast was born out of that. I could, I couldn't have done this. I didn't have the freedom of expression in my voice to, to say what I thought about life in public before that. So, you know, it's, it's different, but it's the same in that, in that I see how, what you're saying about having the intention be an action and then the action manifests whatever it is that's meant to move. That's, that's pretty, pretty magical. If you ask. Mm. Yeah. And that to me, that's the power of creative work. And uh, Jamie, you touched on this when you said, you know, I, I, you were judging yourself about your art or whatever. That's that's the stealing of the power of creative work, right? You don't have to be good, right? Why, why, how in this world did we get to a point where you can only legitimately make art because you're good? You know, I am not a good technical artist by any stretch of the imagination. And I don't care. I don't care. I'm not interested in being technically good. I've I've gone over the last few years and I, I keep taking these workshops. And finally, part of the freedom of September was, yeah, I'm not wasting my time with this. I don't care about shadow or the color wheel or I don't care. I just want to play. And I have the right to play with art and every single one of us has the right to play with art, whether that's our voice, whether it's our body, whatever medium you use, good heavens, we do not need to be given permission by the overculture to, to make art. Yeah, uh, I think that is one of the, the greatest lessons I've learned in the last five years around birthing um, a creative life is the medium matters not. <laughs> And we have all of these complexes inside of us from whatever trauma, whatever we've been through in our life and the talk therapy and the intellectual masculine way of processing that only gets you so far. I think there's space for both of it, but I think we're, we're so hyper-masculine in our culture. Like we've been talking about that these portals, these different mediums, singing, dancing, painting, drawing, gardening in a really intentional way process things at a different level where the complexes can't actually take over 
And that was one of the things that I experienced in that thing. It was, I, I was surprised at how easy it was for me to say, like, can you just stop? Like, can you just stop criticizing it or trying to make it? I remember looking over at you trying to like emulate the shadows on the cheeks. And I was like, can you just stop? You're missing the fucking point here, James. And I think, I mean, one of the, one of the gifts of that came through for me with that was that I trust you so deeply and I was able to really land in that container. And I think that's really an important part of it. We have to trust the container within which we're, we're going to process because it's, it's a direct relationship for how much we're going to actually get out of it. You know, if the, if you, there isn't a level of safety there, uh, you're, you're only going to be able to go so far with it. And it, the the ability for me to just keep dropping in, dropping in, dropping in. And I could feel you beside me doing your own shit, staying in your lane. <laughs> and then, you know, handing me these little bits of wisdom as we were going. And then just, just continually dropping the narrative that would show up. And I was surprised, you know, through different ways of doing this work, this was one of the ones that I found the easiest. And I would never have said that prior to this because painting is like, oh. <laughs> But it, there was something about the processing of it, the way that it came out. And I didn't have to, I didn't have to hover over it. I didn't have to dissect it. I didn't have to pull it apart. It was through the brush, the brush stroke, through the journey, through the writing, you know, these little pieces all came together and just really helped me integrate this, this thing that I came to you with. And I, it was, we were surprised, I think both of us, when we did our first journey, that we both landed in shadow work. I mean, surprised and not, but that to me shows a deeply safe container because that, that shit's no joke. So it was really cool to me to see that. And it really opened up my ability to be curious about different mediums because I don't consider myself or I hadn't considered myself an artist in any way. I was creative. Like I would consider myself creative, but not an artist, that label just fit like a bad suit for me. So I just stayed away from it. But that really opened up some things for me and, and my curiosity about, well, what else is there out there in this realm that can support me in being more whole? And that's how I felt at the end of that process is I felt more whole. Like Linz was talking about with her singing, there was an integration that happened and all of a sudden it's kerplunk. You're like, oh shit, I'm different now. Bye. And I took my painting and threw it in the back of my car. And, you know, the painting was whatever. I just, I had zero attachment to the painting at all. I had none. And so when I took her to the, the bin, I was like, okay, bye. Thanks. <laughs> like, I really, I, I was very grateful for that experience, but it was done. I was done. I didn't need the painting. The word that's coming to mind for me is surrendering. Mm. Right. That when you can actually just surrender to whatever it is, then that voice stops. That, that one that, oh, you can't sing, oh, you sound silly, oh, this painting is ugly. When you can just surrender to that, okay, I'm just, I'm just singing. Yeah. There's no attachment to how it sounds. I'm just painting. And we've all done it already. So I think when we start the process, we actually reconnect to us as a being who has done that already. We've all stood in a kindergarten classroom with a paintbrush and a dad's shirt on. We've all done that. And that joyous creation, I think, is the magic of it, to, right? We've all sung. We've all sung, you know? And, and at those times, we didn't judge ourselves. We just created. And when you can surrender, you tap back into that energy. Yeah, the, the you know, I've been doing a lot of work in my own life around the creative spark and the obstacles to accessing that. And, you know, it's the, the one 
it's just it, all it takes is one statement to a kid of like, ooh, that's not so great. Or there's no such thing as a purple tree. <laughs> you know, it those those little seeds that get planted. And so I think, you know, as I was raising my children, I tried to be really conscious of that, of like celebrating any creation that came, whether it was a, a Lego sculpture or a painting or a drawing and just celebrating the expression of that being. And somewhere along the way, it gets chopped, right? It gets, it gets interfered with. And then we spend the rest of our adult life trying to, or some of us spend the rest of our adult life trying to untangle that and get back to, you know, the rough around the edges of being a child where you don't care until somebody makes you care. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a very sad space, but it's also a place where you can, you can come back from that. I think it does take, I think it does take time and it does take these different kinds of mediums to process it. Yeah. And that, and that surrender to the process, to be in the process, because those, those sentences, those statements, they, they still happen to us as adults, right? So as soon as you show your work to somebody, you make yourself vulnerable to that. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, it's interesting because I've, because I've tried, I've tried to play my way into what I'm going to call the straight art world. (laughs) 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 And you know what? They don't want me. They're not, they're not interested in me. And it's taken a few years to get to the point where I can go, oh yeah, no, I'm actually not interested in them. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not interested in, in that way of being, but the sentences will be dropped to you. You know, I'm, I am repeatedly told that I don't do real art. Mm. Wow. Right. And, yeah. and so how do you get through that? You got to surrender. You got to know what you're about. You have to, you have to, you just have to let go and do whatever you want to do in that moment. Be, you need to be right. Me and my paintbrush, when we're just playing, we don't care. Okay. So I have a question for you. If you could talk to your younger self about art, what would you say to yourself? Oh man, something about that, that world that defines art is not a valid voice. That's not the one to chase. Art school is not is not the destination, right? That's all men's art. (laughs) That's all men's art. (laughs) Like when you go to any major museum in the world, that's all men's art, Mm. right? So, So it's, I don't know, if I could remind myself that creativity is in play, not in production. Mm, I love that. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a good reminder. Yeah. So when you hear the voices, the voice that says that, you know, you are not making real art now, what do you do with that? Um, Where it mostly comes up is it will interfere in my creative process. So I'll be standing, standing at the canvas, trying to do something that I don't have the technical skill to do. Um, And I'll hear that voice, right? That, that face doesn't look right, or that eye doesn't look right, or or whatever it is. And um, sometimes I just leave. 
sometimes I leave the canvas and go, okay, that's, it's not happening today. There's too much talky talky in my head. But sometimes I believe that voice, that internal voice is the same voice as the muse. So I, I use the phrase, the critic and the muse mm -hmm. and the critic voice is the same thing as the muse. It's your internal inspiration. And it, I think it talks to us that way because we're most likely to listen to it when it's a negative voice. <laughs> uh, so yeah. we, we, we ignore the muse and we listen to the critic, right? So when the critic starts talking, I try to listen for what's really being said. And then often I'll invite the critic to just go away for 15 minutes. Like mm -hmm. just, you know, do you want to go upstairs and make a cup of tea? Or maybe you want to go for a walk? Just give me 15 minutes. And mm. then I just, I, I, if I'm able to do that, I just continue on. And, I, and often I'll do something really crazy at that point with the painting. Yeah. So I'll stop trying to make it something. And I'll actually express that craziness that's in me onto the painting at that point. Yeah. That's so cool that you were talking about. I've just started playing with active imagination in like a depth psychology kind of concept of, ask inviting the critic to have a conversation with me a, like a grown-up conversation about what is what is needing to be seen and expressed here instead of trying to push the critic away and so when you said that I was kind of like oh my god that's exactly what I've been trying to do lately and inviting a conversation what is you know and being really tender and really gentle with that part of myself because it is essentially a part of myself it's a wounded part of myself that is trying to express something to me and so our first instinct is generally to just push it down, right? Or to, you know, kick it or berate it or whatever. And this, this process is very vulnerable. It's really, it's quite a tender experience and I'm treading very lightly with it, but something is moving in that. And the inspiration is, is sitting right next to it. And I can feel that thawing out. So the creative process always has a period of entropy, right? It comes up, mm -hmm. it, it expresses and then it goes away and it's in the going away where we get into the shit or I get into the shit. I'll speak for myself where it's like, where did it go? You know, I had all these amazing ideas and all of these beautiful things that I wanted to create. And there was like this big explosion and that's what happens for me in my process. And then I write about it and I draw it on boards and, and then there's this quiet and the quiet used to freak the shit out of me. And that's when that critic would get really intense of like, oh, well, you just don't have any good, good goddamn ideas that went away because it wasn't worth, you know, whatever, insert narrative. And so trying to trust the process of the creative cycle, just like all of the cycles of nature, creativity has the cycle and really being gentle with that, that period of quiet, of dormancy and really trusting that there is something that is happening in this and having those conversations with with the critic because that is when it shows up for me and then something starts to thaw and then I hear the muse again and it's not anything you can grab and you might have to my experience in the last you know the in the darkness of this last winter cycle has been I have to be really patient <laughs> I have to be really gentle with it and you cannot push you cannot pull out the expression you have to wait for the birth and you don't get to know when that is, but this, that's been a really cool experience. So I really, I really relate to what you just said of like this, there's something in that. Yeah. And it's when that, 
process goes into that entropic cycle, you have to sit on the porch. You have to step away from the art. And that's that patriarchal model is that you should keep producing, mm. right? You should worry it. You should work it. You should, you know, you got to have an output of so many words per day if you're a writer. No, I, for me, you have to sit on the porch. Yes. Put the Put the piece you're working on away. It'll call you back if it's meant to be called back. If it doesn't call back, you're done with it. It's done. Yeah. yeah. So true. yeah. Amazing. So cool. What a cool conversation this has been. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely amazing. So I, I have one more question. I think it is a good tie up maybe for the, the conclusion of our conversation. Because I, you know, I've known you a really long time and joy has really come to the forefront of your life, which I, you know, I think that's always been a part of who you are, but I think it was very dormant and very suppressed, you know, for a really long time. And so my question to you is because joy is elusive for a lot of people. Um, it's tied to, you know, an experience of like going to Disneyland and, you know, there's the joy, I think the joy, when true joy is expressed through us, it it's it's coming from something inside of us. So, and I think you've touched on that really beautifully throughout this conversation. So what do you think the keys to living a joyful life are? Oh, God, if I had that answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the porch analogy is one of them. Like I really, that analogy is a really, really potent, like the spaciousness for joy to immerse. Yes. And the, the word that actually popped into my mind, because I thought I, I honestly just the other day was writing in my journal and I wrote, oh my God, I just felt joy again mm -hmm. because it has been a long time. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so it's, so it's here, it's showing up and where is it showing up? Um, allowing, I'm allowing it to show up. That's the key piece, the key is that I'm just, I'm letting it show up. And when it shows up, I'm taking it. Mm. And I don't know, what did I do to get the steps to that? Um, I'm joyfully inspired as I move into new realms. I had to put the word joy in there because there was no joy and there was no inspiration. And um, the magic ticket has been that I used the word new realms. So that meant that every time I had the opportunity to do something different, I tried to embrace it. So here I am talking to you guys <laughs> out of my comfort zone. But uh -huh. but the, the, the key example that is coming to me is my husband hit a deer and killed my car, my favorite car. And we had, we were a two car couple. So we had the independence of two cars and we have decided we're not going to replace that car. So I have to get up early in the morning, break into the routine that I, my, my morning routine that I love to drive him to work. So, and then drive home and then I can carry on with my day. And um, the promise I made to myself was, okay, this is a new realm. So we're not going to be irritated, right? We're just going to do it and see what it provides me. And um, I have never experienced so many awe-inspiring pull over to the side of the road sunrises um in this decade of my life like as as now and the gift of having to drive him to work right but but 
I was being called into a new realm and I wanted to allow it to show me what it could show me. Mm. And I, so I think being open to the gifts that come to us all the time, every day, because all of a sudden now I'm seeing them everywhere. Um, yeah, allow it to come to you. Yeah, I love I love that. And now you, you can change the language around it. It's like, I have to drive him. It's like, now I get to drive him. You know, yeah. there's something magical that happens in that. And yeah, I think that is a beautiful sentiment. And, a, a, you know, stay open to the opportunities and the potential for joy to arrive. Yeah, yeah. Put down the plan. Yeah. <laughs> so if something changes the plan, it's not an intrusion, it's an opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's hard to get my head around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was annoyed at first, <laughs> but then I remembered the deal I made with myself. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Put down the plan and go sit on the porch. Love it. Yes. Oh, thank you so much. Our sweet friend. This was just amazing. Amazing. And I think this is going to be really rich for people to listen to. Oh yeah. Oh, I hope so. Oh, Thank wow. you. I, I had so much fun. Yeah, good. That's kind of it's kind of our MO for doing these now is to <laughs> to keep, you know, keep the fun in it and not take it all so seriously and just mm. share other people's voices. And you have such a unique voice that it's just it's so great that there's gonna be hundreds of people who get to hear this who maybe not would have got to cross your path. That's super cool. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and just your authentic way of being in the world. It's so, it's so beautiful to see where you are right now and and hear about it. So thank you for sharing it with us. Yeah. Thank you. Where can people find you Yvonne? What's your, Um, they can find me on Instagram at Yvonne's magic art bus and uh, on TikTok. TikTok. Okay, cool. Amazing. And are you, are you offering journeys, intentional creativity journeys at this time? One-on-one, one-on-one only now. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. And you can do it remotely, right? It's not, doesn't have to be. In absolutely. Person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get on that. I feel like. That'd <laughs> be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially we would build whatever, like whatever the person is working through. We build a program specifically for that, mm. a journey for that. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much again. And thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. Take care. That's a wrap. We sure hope you've enjoyed this episode. Linz and I are committed to a no edit recording as we want the conversation to be as authentic as possible. We have a big vision of a transparent and fully expressed world. And allowing ourselves to be heard uncensored feels integral to that pursuit. In addition, our mission is to wake up, shake up, and raise up all authentic voices in cultivating a collective community of rebels on purpose. We are honored to invite you to join the circle and to share your rebel voice in our community. Community is built and sustained through participation, so circle up and engage with us on Instagram at Rebels on Purpose. If you enjoyed the show today, please drop us a review as this helps us widen our circle and lets us know what you'd like to hear. And lastly, from our fiery hearts to yours, we call you to speak up, be curious, and call forward the sacred rebel that burns inside of you. What the world needs is humans who are fully alive, living a life on purpose, and honoring all that is sacred.